Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Good afternoon and welcome back to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 Hi FM. I'm Rabbi Ari Kiebman and it's great to be with you here this afternoon. Today I want to talk about Judaism at home, how to make the most and the best of our current situation. We're all quarantined and locked down and stuck at home. But stuck at home shouldn't be a negative thing. It should be something we can look at each day, as we discussed last week about the counting of the Omer, that we're counting each day. But it's not just about counting the day. It is more important to make each and every single day count. So when we grow each day and tell ourselves that where I was standing yesterday is not enough for today, I have to grow and become better and better. And in that sense, we're going to be out of this situation soon, hopefully all healthy and well. And we look back and say, was I stuck at home or was there something positive I gained, something beautiful out of this situation? Some might think, well, Judaism is observed in the shul. But the truth of the matter is, that's not the case. Yes, the shuls and the schools are very important communal institutions. And that is a place where we celebrate much of Jewish life. But our home is the Jewish nerve center. It is the place where our family experiences their Judaism, where Jewish values are strengthened and transmitted. Our homes are the focal point of our Yiddishkeit. It is the heartbeat of our Judaism, especially during this time. And so let us think about how we could make the most of the situation. And if you look in the Torah, we see how Yaakov Avinu, our patriarch Jacob, after he leaves his parents' home, and he travels to Mesopotamia, to the city of Haram, where he's going to start his family, where he marries his wives. But on the way, as night fell, he stopped at a hilltop, and he surrounded himself with stones for protection, and there he fell asleep. This was his first night away from his parents' home. Essentially, those stones that he surrounded himself with, that was his home for the night. The next morning, Yaakov dedicated as a monument to God the stone that was closest to his head. And he said, This is the house of God. Of course, that is the place where much later on, the holy temple, the Beis Hamikdash would be built. So the cornerstone for the future temple was what? A stone of a Jewish home. And this is because the goal of the temple and of our shuls is not to limit the religious experience to our places of worship, but to infuse our homes with holiness. The sanctity of the Jewish home is the necessary condition for the sanctity of the house of God. And that we see how many mitzvahs we get to do in our homes. Whether it's hachnasas orchem, hospitality, inviting guests to our home. But right now I want to talk about how we start each day. How do we begin our days? Sometimes getting out of bed could be a very difficult task. And it may come only after a good few battles with our snooze button. So... The first task of the day is just to get up. And in fact, for many people, considering that it's locked down, nowhere to go, there's no work necessarily. So get up late and do whatever it is, take it leisurely. 
The first hack I want to share with you, which is not necessarily a Jewish idea, but just something beneficial for all of us, is to keep our normal routines. We all hope and pray we're getting out of this situation very soon. We'll all be back to normal life, healthy and well. But we want to keep that sense of normalcy even. Now, if you have kids at home, it's important to set the tone, to set the example. And for ourselves as well, if you're able to get up early and start your prayers and do the regular routine that you wouldn't ordinarily do, that is the best way to start your day. Now, of course, for once we're up, those of us who are coffee drinkers know what it's like before we get our morning dose of caffeine. In fact, some have a serenity prayer. It goes something like, God Almighty, give me the coffee to accept the things I cannot change, the coffee to change the things I can, and the coffee to know the difference. The opening of our day sets the tone of the day. We have to try to start the day on the right foot. In fact, the way we wake up in the morning reveals to an extent our philosophy of life. To understand why, let's look at Shulchan Aruch, the code of Jewish law, where it tells us, strengthen yourself like a lion to rise in the morning to serve your creator. You should awake in the morning. As soon as you wake up from sleep, rise eagerly to serve your creator. When we wake up, it shouldn't be a reactive experience. I woke up because I couldn't sleep anymore. That would be considered being woken up by the morning. But in Shulchan Aruch, it tells us, you should wake the morning. We have to be the ones to wake up the morning. Then the day will have begun because you are ready and eager to take on the day. And this statement from Shulchan Aruch is our best defeat of our snooze button. On a day when we're about to do something new and exciting, we all know how eager we are to get out of bed, irrespective of when we fell asleep. You have a flight to catch, you have an event to attend. The difficulty is when we sense that life is just the same old. Once we realize that life is not random, that no day is an accident, that we were put here for a purpose, that each day is imbued with a unique mission and reason, then the entire vast eternal plan rests on our shoulders. It changes how we get out of bed in the morning. And so how we wake up expresses our philosophy of life. And so the first thing we do, even before we get out of bed, we recite a 10 second prayer. Moda Ani, we thank God for getting us out of bed. And if you haven't yet said it this morning, maybe say it right now. We offer thanks to the eternal living King who has mercifully restored our soul within us. And our faithfulness is great in Him. We don't even mention God's name. The first of anything always matters. We want to make sure that the first use of our speech is dedicated to thanking God for restoring our souls, for waking up this morning. How many people still haven't woken up this morning? How many people might wake up in West Park? No joke. 
Maybe they won't even wake up. Excuse me for my sarcasm there. But the point is, you can say this prayer in any language you like. And you're waking up with an attitude of gratitude. Considering how easy and short of a prayer it is, ideally one should say it in the original Hebrew that it was composed. Some people are not used to verbalizing prayers. It's just a meditation, a thought in their heart. Well, in Judaism, we say it should actually be verbalized. It's something you should speak. Don't just think about it. Say it. Verbalize it. Don't, prayers must be from the heart, but it can't remain in the heart. In order for the experience to embrace not just the soul, but also the physical body and human condition, we need to express it. So, there's a custom that many have that when you say Ma'adani, you sit up in bed with your head bowed towards the chest and your fingertips held against each other like the symbol of gratitude. Because indeed, this is a prayer of gratitude to Hashem that we wake up each morning. We'll be right back and discuss a little bit about the importance, significance, and meaning of this and other prayers. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome back to Soul to Soul. I'm Rabbi Ari Kiedman. Great to be with you here this afternoon. We're talking about Judaism at home. And so far we talked about how we start our day with a prayer of Modani. Let's delve a little deeper into the significance of this prayer. Because prayer is not just meditation, although it has that benefit as well. It is an attitude. And so we remind ourselves that we were given the gift of life for another day for a purpose to inspire us to pursue this life with meaning, with zest, carpe diem, seize the moment. And we start our day with an attitude of gratitude, not only for the gift of life, but also for the gift of rejuvenation. We were tired and worn out at night, and now we wake up fresh and crisp. Thank God for another day. And that is expressed in the prayer of Modani, before we even get out of bed. It's so crucial to our mental health, to our emotional balance. In the past decades, modern psychology has found that there are a number of universal keys to happiness. And among them is living with a sense of purpose. To have a habit of feeling and expressing our appreciation. That is something we accomplish when we start our day with Modani. Jewish prayers have multiple layers of meaning. And it's important that we look at them, that we understand them. When we daven, we shouldn't just be having mumbo-jumbo. It shouldn't just be a lip service where we read words, but we should actually understand what we're saying. Let me share with you a few insights about Modani. We live today in what some call the me generation. It's a time of self-centered tendencies. Just even before lockdown, a couple of weeks ago, how people ran into the shops hoarding as if they're the only ones who exist and everything is just for themselves, creating shortages of toilet paper. You'll notice when we say modani, we don't start off with the word in Hebrew, the way it would make sense grammatically to say ani moda, which means I am grateful. 
Rather, we first start with moda, which means we start with the gratitude and only then do we come to ourselves. When we wake up, our souls shine and we can be less aggressive with putting our egos right front and center. The ani, we're there, of course, but first we start with gratitude, with our submission to God. And so it's interesting that Modani is recited before we even wash our hands in the morning. Because washing our hands is important. But Modani, washing our hands when we do so, we're removing the impurities of that we've come in contact with overnight. But Modani is a, an expression, a statement from the depths of our soul. It's so special, so holy and powerful. Nothing, not even ritually impure hands can in any way undermine it. People sometimes talk about the need to be grateful in general without it being necessarily directed to anyone in particular. But here, when we start our day, we realize that the gratitude is always felt and expressed toward something. If somebody did something for you, Express your appreciation to them. And in this case, we're thanking God. For the gift of life, we thank the Almighty. We say, We're communicating our sense of appreciation to Him, to Hashem. We're happy to be alive. We're extra happy that God makes sure that we can be alive. And the same thing, if someone does something for us, we have to express that appreciation. In this prayer, we refer to God as our king. And this, of course, conveys to us that this world is not a random jungle, but it's under the control and dominion of God. And that the king, the commander in chief of the universe, gave us a purpose for coming into this world each day. So we refer to our soul as Nishmasi, my soul, my unique, indispensable soul, tailor-made for my unique purpose and mission in this world. Each one of us has to realize what our purpose is and thank God for His mercy. We often take it as something we deserve. Do we really deserve it? It's a question we have to ask ourselves. A lot of people take things for granted. Feelings of entitlement. And this prayer reminds us that actually, in fact, life is a gift given by God's compassion and mercy. So throughout the day, we're going to engage in many good deeds. And sometimes we have to realize, we have to appreciate where everything comes to us from. And we say Moda'ani, we make it very clear that we want this day to be a good day, a day that's worth living, a day that we can look back and say, thank you God for restoring my soul. I lived a worthwhile life today. One of the unique and for some bizarre features of Judaism is the way we do certain things and people don't necessarily understand how it's meant to be done, why Jewish law dictates it. But we don't, everything has an order, a purpose to it. 
what we eat, how we go about our work, how we get dressed, all those do's and don'ts. A Jewish life is dictated by the code of Jewish law, by our Shulchan Aruch. There are laws, there are reasons. God gave us mitzvahs, and the word mitzvah doesn't just mean commandment, but it means connection. And every time we fulfill His will, we are forging a bond, a connection with Him. Our relationship with God is like a marriage. Every mitzvah we fulfill reveals our strengths, our bonds with God, a relationship with God that focuses only on spirituality is missing the point. A true relationship is all-encompassing. God wants a relationship with us, and that means all of us, our physical and our spiritual selves. The nature of human beings and the physical world in general is to feel separate and independent from God. The purpose of creation is that God wants us to change the status quo and to invite Him to be expressed and to feel at home in this ungodly realm. And for this reason, specifically the mitzvahs pertaining to the most mundane areas of life is where we accomplish this. So I'm going to talk about the way we start our day in a Jewish home from the very beginning of the day. How do you begin? So our guideline is that we get dressed even though no one's seeing us at home. It's like, you know, you're spending Shabbos in the Kruger in better days. It's still Shabbos. And we should still honor and respect Shabbos accordingly. So we remind ourselves that God is present with us at all times, especially when we do it in a modest way. And by bringing God into the realm of how we dress, we make sure that we connect with God in that particular sphere of our life, in our clothing. We bring God's presence into our day. So I want to highlight something fascinating that Jewish law says. That is, that generally we start with the right before the left. There are some exceptions, like tying shoes where the left is done first. But in general, whenever the Torah discusses an activity that's done with our hands or feet, then it gives preference to the right over the left. Now, the general mystical idea behind this is one we discussed last week. We have the different general channels of the spherot, the divine attributes. One is called chesed, another is gevura. Chesed is the attitude of kindness, of giving, even if the recipient isn't necessarily deserving. Whereas gevura is the attitude of matching our blessings to correspond to human behavior. We, of course, prefer that God interact with us through chesed, right? We always want God to be kind to us. Now, the Torah teaches that the human is created in the divine image. Kabbalah elaborates on this concept and explains that our right side corresponds to God's chesed and our left side to God's gevura. Kabbalah teaches that human activity triggers and shapes God's interaction with us. So by prioritizing the right over the left in our actions, we hope to tilt more of the divine flow headed our way from Gevura to Chesed. And Jewish law tells us how we're meant to do that. And that is, we are going to wash our face, not 
to moisturize and freshen comfort. But this is Jewish law. Long before coronavirus was a concern, but long before the World Health Organization was telling us how many times a day we have to wash our hands and face, Jewish law has been telling us that long ago. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Soul to Soul. I'm Rabbi Ari Kivan. Great to be with you here this afternoon. Call it a wash. We talked about washing our faces. Now let's talk about washing our hands. In fact, these days everyone's talking about hand washing. And we're used to being told and told again that there are guidelines for how to properly wash your hands and do it in 20 seconds and sing a song. Well, in a similar sense, Jewish law outlines specific guidelines for a different type of hand washing with a very different goal, and that is done each morning. After you wake up, first thing after the Modani we do is wash our hands. And do this before saying your morning brachas, before eating breakfast, before drinking. Because it is a ritual washing, and we're gonna say a bracha, it should rather not be done in the bathroom. So. Personally, I do it next to my bed, if that's feasible for you to do the same, but you could do it in the sink. Now, how you're supposed to do this, there are specific guidelines. Firstly, there shouldn't be anything separating between your skin and the water. So you gotta remove any removable objects from your hand, such as a ring or dirt. Now, fill the kvark, a washing cup, with water. The reason we use a washing cup, we'll talk about but you're pouring it over the right hand from your wrist to your fingertips. And you're gonna do the same thing then on the left hand. Once on the right, once on the left, repeat this three times in total. So also remember this is different from the way you wash your hands for bread. Interesting Kabbalistic insight I saw is because the impurity jumps from one hand to the other, but considering I'm not a Kabbalist, I won't go there. Of course, if you are left-handed, actually, you're gonna begin this process on the left hand. So again, once on the left, once on the right, once on the left, once on the right, once on the left, once on the right. Total three times for each hand, alternating. Dry your hands, and then go on to say the bracha, al-natila sidayim. I will send out a handout just now with the brachas that are meant to be said in the morning and the morning, I guess, procedures. And this is the first of many blessings that we say during the day. We're taught that it's actually appropriate to recite at least 100 blessings every day. And this is the very first one. Now, a hundred might sound like a lot, but the truth is, I gotta say, with the amount of times you say brachas before eating, consuming any food, and the number of brachas you have in our prayers, for example, just the Amida, which we say three times a day, has 19 in each time you say the Amida, right? So you already got 37, plus this one. And the brachas you say before eating food, before you know it, it's not too difficult to pull off at all. So let's just briefly discuss what's the purpose of this morning washing of our hands. Number one, 
in the Beis HaMikdash in the Holy Temple of old, the Kohanim would rinse their hands and their feet, by the way, each day before engaging in the tasks that they were meant to do in the temple. Now, like I said before, our homes can be a miniature holy temple and we have duties no less important than of the Kohanim, the priests, back in the temple. So when we wash our hands at the outset of each day, we remind ourselves to be just like the Kohanim of old, that we are here to serve even in our own homes. We're here to serve, serve God. And of course, as little Michal just walked in, we're here to serve our children, our family as well. And of course, perhaps this explains why we specifically use the kvart, the washing cup, to wash our hands, because it commemorates the kiar, the elaborate washing device, the wash basin that was used by the kohanim back in the temple. Secondly, cleanliness. During the night, our hands might touch different parts of our body. So it's best to have clean hands before we say any brachas, any prayers that are soon to be said. In fact, we discussed this previously with coronavirus, the World Health Organization is telling us how much we have to wash our hands. In Jewish law and practice, we wash our hands so many times a day for ever, since the beginning of Jewish law. We before going into the temple, the Torah tells us this, before saying our brachas, in so many different times of the day that we actually wash our hands. So the Torah presents a host of laws related to purity and impurity, the laws of Tumah and Tahara. And these laws have nothing to do with the fact, with filth, that you could rinse away with soap and water you know, the, the rationale of these laws is so profound that it actually exceeds the limits of human comprehension. I can't give you the reason. The two elements of these laws that are relevant. Firstly, a dead body conveys ritual impurity. That's one. And another is that going into the water of a mikvah removes that ritual impurity. Now, our sages tell us that when we sleep, it is similar to the state of death. And Kabbalah explains that a portion of our soul actually departs the body during sleep and therefore triggers a form of ritual impurity which only remains on the hands after we awake. So washing the hands with water removes that ritual impurity. Every element of Jewish practice has deeper dimensions to it. Sometimes I could share with you what I know briefly, uh, the symbolic message that could help shape our thinking about life. And of course, this is relevant to washing our hands as well. The Friedrich Rebbe, the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, explains that soon after waking up, our minds begin to wander. And it doesn't take long for us to start worrying about our fears, what's going to be, what's going to happen, right? You wake up and all of a sudden the world comes tumbling down, all our worries, or all our problems, how are we going to pay the bills? So when we wash our hands, it symbolizes 
the way that we wash away the worrying impulse that overcomes us at that point in the morning. And so we take a moment to remember that God is in control of everything. And that we're in God's hands, we're in good hands. Right? We gotta, they say, remember, wash your hands and remember whose hands you're in. There's no need to worry. Certainly, not to the degree where it stops us from going on our day with joy and positivity. So after you wash your hands, if you're coming from the bathroom, then you're gonna say the bracha asher yotzar. I'll send that in the handout as well. And have you ever been to uh, Table Mountain, right? Have you watched what a remarkable sunset? Have you visited the planetarium right here at Witz and gaze at the faraway galaxies? Now, I'm sure something, if you've experienced that, stirred within you. Wow. We're enraptured, mesmerized. Our body is just as marvelous. It's no less a wonder. The more one studies biology, I remember learning the anatomy in detail when I was studying to become a paramedic. You, you cannot help but be impressed. But for some reason, it just doesn't have the same emotional impact as being at God's window. So we recite this blessing every morning after we witness our body executing its basic functions. It brings the wonders of the body which reflects God's wisdom into our consciousness. In fact, it's customary to say the bracha every time we use the bathroom, we say asher yatsar. So if you're looking for ways to stack up on your hundred blessings for the day. But the main recital of that bracha is in the morning brachas. And so, what is the conclusion of the bracha asher yatsar? We say, God is the healer of all flesh. We recognize that all of the efforts we invest in our health and our well-being and quarantining to maintain our health are the means by which we allow God's blessing to be realized. This is, of course, very relevant when living through a pandemic today. So we make a double investment. We recognize the true source, God, as the healer of all flesh. But we also take concrete action. One sort of action is mentioned in Jewish law as a mourning behavior. Rambam writes that in the interest of maintaining health, it's appropriate actually to exercise each morning. It's in Rambam Hilchus Deus, chapter four, read it there, how Rambam explains the importance of exercising every morning. And the Rebbe would tell us that exercise mandates that when we maintain and build our health by our own hard work, we actually become partners with God. We're fulfilling part of our function and purpose in our own life. God desires that we not only be on the receiving end of His blessings, but that we also become creator-like in some miniature way. This is why our health is not handed to us on a silver platter. We have to work or work out, but we got to work for it. So we already 
examined a few of the brachas, the prayers and blessings, and I'm going to talk about more of them, so I guess we should talk about the language, something we discussed in our prayer course, but just to rephrase it. Hebrew is the unique language of the Jewish people, the native expression of our neshama, the Jewish soul. And it's called Lashon HaKodesh, the sacred tongue in which the Torah was written, the language with which God created the universe. The majority of our prayers were composed in this language. Yes, there are some that are not in Hebrew because we're meant to understand them. So it's very rich and potent and even in a sense far more accurate in the original Hebrew. So our sages, the ones who composed many of these prayers, they encoded in their subtle choices of the specific Hebrew words, the letters, the vowels, the various various esoteric intentions that are key to the soul of prayer and are entirely lost in translation when we try to put it into any other language. So that said, for the function of the prayers, it is crucial that we understand the plain, simple meaning of the words, right? That's more important than praying in Hebrew. And if you don't understand the Hebrew, as we said many, many times, pray in whatever language you prefer. There is another option, because many people don't understand the Hebrew, but prefer to, to pray in Hebrew because of the importance of the words. So that is explained in Shulchan Aruch. It says that if we have a meditation where we reflect on the greatness of God and our comparative insignificance, then we picture the degree of undistracted focus that's appropriate at an intimate audience with, imagine, a moral monarch, and then consider the far greater focus that's required when standing before the King of all kings, before Hashem. So that's an option. I would say the best option is pray in Hebrew, but learn and understand the meaning of what you're saying. So that's the best of both worlds, to daven, maybe read the words in a language you understand, but at the same time taking the time to study the meaning of the Hebrew prayers. And I guess you can transition slowly into reading the prayers in the original language that they were written. So let's continue with our morning schedule by reciting the brachas that we do standing. We first say a prayer called the Lekai Neshama. We thank God for restoring our souls. It's a more elaborate version of Modani, with even deeper insights on the same theme. And then we recite 14 short blessings. I'm not going to have the time to examine all of them right now, but let's just quickly dissect a few of them. First bracha I'm going to look at is the one, Hanosen Lasechri Vina Lachim Ben Yom Ben Lala. We bless God who gives the rooster understanding to distinguish between day and night. It is the alarm clock. You know, in prior generations, it was a blessing that thank God for providing our unique morning alarm clock. But today we continue to recite this bracha. And we have in mind that 
whichever of God's marvels we use to wake us up in the morning, the many wonders of nature expressed in the animal kingdom every time we go to Kruger, Pilensburg, it is fascinating. And to acknowledge, to recognize that. There are obviously multiple layers of this prayer, but the word sechvi doesn't only mean the rooster. Some say it refers to the human heart. The Gemara explains this, that we're thanking God for giving us the mental and emotional capacity to distinguish between day and night, between what's good, what's sacred and worthy, and the opposite. And so saying the bracha in the morning is a reminder that throughout the day, we are going to face many choices that will try our moral compass and for which we will tap into our inner strength to embrace the good and distance ourselves from the opposite. The next bracha on the list is the bracha of Pukayach Ephraim. God opens the eyes of the blind. The human eye is simply amazing. Charles Darwin considered the eye one of the toughest challenges to his theory of evolution. And you see, I see, thank God we see. How much would you be willing to pay for eyesight? Let's not take those blessings for granted. We thank God each day for the blessing of sight. There's a famous quote from Helen Keller, who was blind, about how people with sight don't appreciate their blessings. She described how when she was visited by a very good friend and asked her, Nu, what did you see today? Oh, nothing in particular, the friend replied. And she writes how incredulous she would have felt if she wasn't accustomed to such responses. And she says how convinced she has become that the seeing see little. On a deeper level, Hasidus teaches us that... It talks about, in the Torah, about the idols that have eyes but don't see. And Hasidus explains that that's not only referring to the idol, but in ourselves as well. That each morning we have to thank God for giving us not just the physical ability to see, but also the mental ability to see the full picture, to see the truth, and to behave appropriately. The next bracha that we say each morning is the bracha of Mati Rasurim, who bless God, who releases the bound. And again, this bracha is about our ability to stretch, to move our limbs. When we're sleeping, our limbs aren't moving, we're stretching, and appear as though they're bound. When we wake up, we return to moving around, to stretching, and we thank God for this ability. So on a deeper level, we're referring as well to the battle of our two souls. By nature, the impulsive soul has a greater hold on our conscious character and our choices, which renders the godly soul its prisoner. The godly soul wants to find joy in pursuing sacred endeavors, but it's unable to. It feels trapped. But we know that our divine soul does have moments when it successfully releases itself from captivity and shines through. And we have that ability if we work hard enough to ensure that this happens more often. This ability results from a special helping hand that God extends to the godly soul, for which we thank God with this particular blessing. We'll be back just now to examine 
just a few more. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Soul to Soul. I'm Rabbi Ari Kiedman. Great to be with you here this afternoon. We're talking about the prayers and we're going to continue now and discuss the prayer of blessing God for Throughout history, Jews have been deeply devoted to Torah study. For example, the Gemara and Brachas tells us that King David, David HaMelech, would awaken at the stroke of midnight. He would spend the rest of the night studying Torah. And Jews have made great sacrifices to teach and study, preserve Judaism with the key ingredient of Torah. Two famous stories that I've previously shared. One, Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai, when he had his very famous meeting with Vespasian. And the future emperor, the general at the time, granted him three wishes. But he didn't ask for the temple to be speared. Instead, he requested, he said, Ten Give me Yamada and its scholars, its sages, because he knew that the key ingredient for the preservation of Judaism would be Torah study. Because with temples and shrines is not the way we can guarantee a Jewish tomorrow. But with Torah, we can. And the other famous story is the one of Rabbi Akiva, who when he was once approached by one of his colleagues, who asked him why he's risking his life for teaching Torah, and explained with a parable the metaphor of a fox. He says once the fox was strolling along the river bank and saw fish swimming in swarms back and forth, one side of the river to the other. So the fox approached one of the fish and asked, why are you so anxious? What's stressing you out? From whom are you fleeing? And the fish shows with its fins. You see the fishermen there, they're trying to cast their nets to catch us. So the fox says to the fish, well, would you like to come up with me onto the dry land? And I could look after you. We'll live together just as our ancestors lived together. And the little fish asks the fox, are you really the one they call the cleverest of the animals? And that was an expression back in those days, even the famous Aesop's fable, the fox and the crow. He says, you're not clever, but foolish. If we're in danger in water, which is the environment of our life, then all the more so, we would be in jeopardy in the environment of our death. And of course, Rabbi Akiva's message was that a Jew's source of life, the survival of Am Yisrael is the Torah. This value that Torah is like water is expressed by the mandate that every Jew should study at least some Torah each day. Torah is vast. It covers many, many topics. Everyone can find some entry point, some idea. Today, especially during quarantine, we're in lockdown. There's so many online classes and the translation of so many of our sacred texts The study of Torah is really accessible, should not be difficult for anyone. The other day, one of my teachers from yeshiva, who became a great prominent rabbi in New York, what a gentle soul. I remember when I was sitting shiva a few months ago with my father, and he came to visit us, and he shared with me a story. The truth is, he didn't offer the story, but we asked him the details, because it is a powerful story. 
And the story goes that they were living then in the Soviet Union. And he was a young boy. His mother knew that she had to find a way to get him to study Torah, which was forbidden, unfortunately, in those days under the communist regime. My father of blessed memory grew up there and I knew very well from many of the stories he related to us. So at the time, my father and his family moved to a city called Samarkand, which was in Uzbekistan. And there, there was an underground yeshiva network that was flourishing. The Shvey family they were still living in Russia. And Mrs. Shvey, who at the time was already widowed, her husband passed away. She had three young boys. My Rebbe, Rabbi Shvey, was one of them at the time. He was born in, I think, 1934. He was 86 now when he passed away from the coronavirus. And his mother decided that she needs to send her kids there. You could imagine for a mother to send her three pitzkalach, three little children, off. So at the train station, when she sent her boys off, she said to her young son, Rabbi Shvei, she called him Yankala. She said, don't worry. I'm going to come visit you one day soon. It took some time, about a year and a half later, she finally came by train to Samarkand. And when she stepped off the train, she was amazed, surprised, to see her son waiting for her right there on the platform. When she asked him, she says, Yankala, how did you know to come today to, to greet me? And she said, Rabbi Shrey, who was a young kid at the time, responded, you told me that you would come visit me by train. So I came to the train station every week. There was one train a week that would come to Samarkand from Russia. I came every week to see if you were on that train. And I think about this story. It is, in a sense, a profound message and lesson for us about our relationship with God as Rabbi Shvei had with his mother. Here we are, so to say, far away, also far away from home. Our neshama is far from its natural habitat, from the celestial spiritual realm. And yet, it's only natural for us to come each day and to try to reconnect with our source. And this is why the idea of studying Torah, of our connection to Hashem, is so important. Of course, I think this story also shows us the importance, the dedication that a Jew has to studying Torah. That this mother felt that she had no choice but to send her young three children so far away to study Torah. A mother doesn't like to separate from her, chi- from her kids. But she realized that the true survival of her children, at least from a Jewish perspective, would only be through Torah. And if we want to imbue our home and our children with a true Jewish pride, then there are two important steps that we have to take. Number one, build a Jewish library. Have Jewish books in your home. I know you could easily access Torah on your phone, but there's a reason why I have a library. There's a reason why the shul has a library. And that's the same reason you should have a library. Children, not just children, we ourselves should be surrounded by Jewish books. When Shabbos comes, let's tap into these books, but every day. And the truth is, 
with our phones, it's that much easier than ever for us to study Torah every day. So if you're able to build such a library, and I mean, building a library doesn't have to be some elaborate, difficult scheme to pull off. As many Jewish books as you could acquire, even if it's just on your phone, then do so. But don't just have the books. Don't just have the apps. Tap into them. Study Torah. Build it into your morning routine. Start the day that way. And that's what we have a bracha right away in the morning that thanks God for giving us the Torah. Because Torah is so central to our Jewish way of life and to the future of Judaism, we say the brachas every morning and we have the brachas of the Torah that we say, it's in the Siddur on page 8, we recite the brachas thanking God for giving us the Torah. Right? We, there's three brachas we say each morning. First one is, al divrei thanking God for the words of Torah. And then we have the bracha of the ha-arevna, that God should make the Torah pleasant for us. And then the third blessing is the one where we say that we thank God for giving us the Torah. So that is the way we start our day, recognizing a connection to God through Torah.